0: What is up, Daddy Gang? It is your founding father, Alex Cooper, with Call Her Daddy. Hello, 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 Daddy Gang. It is a beautiful, beautiful day. We're back at it again for another episode of Call Her Daddy. So, when I was 16 years old in high school, living in Pennsylvania, I remember watching... The show 90210, okay? There's a lot of fucking shows. Gossip Girl, The Hills, The O.C., all the things. 90210 was one of my favorite shows. And I remember in those shows, everybody knows, every show you watch, I guess they probably fucking do it on purpose, but it's like you're drawn to a specific character. You either relate or you're obsessed with or you're drawn to them or you love, you hate them, whatever. And I remember with 90210, I was so drawn to the character Naomi. She was a goddamn alpha, a vixen. She ran the shit in the fucking 90210, and I was obsessed. And the person that played that character, her name is Annalyn McCord. I was a huge fan back then of Naomi, and now today I'm sitting here on this podcast, an even bigger fan today of Annalyn. relationship and experience with therapy I was so ready to get better and to better myself and to understand myself more if you're thinking of starting therapy give better help a try it's entirely online convenient and flexible it's easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists whenever you need to for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash daddy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash daddy. Two years ago, I became pregnant with a baby I desperately wanted. During a routine ultrasound, I learned that the fetus would have a fatal condition and never survive. I had to flee my own state to receive treatment. I think Donald Trump bears an incredible amount of responsibility for these restrictive laws. We need leaders that will protect our rights, and that's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Two weeks ago, I sat down with Annalyn McCord. And in this episode, she recounts the life events that led to her diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder. And before we get started, I need to say this. This entire episode may be triggering for those who have suffered from sexual abuse or would be triggered from discussion of self-harm. This is a trigger warning. Daddy gang, this interview that you are about to hear is powerful. Anna Lynn takes us through her diagnosis and the intense work in therapy she did that led to her uncovering and remembering the sexual abuse that she endured years prior as a young girl. It is not easy Coming on, it's not even, it's not easy talking about it. So it is not easy coming on this podcast and telling millions of people the trauma you've experienced and endured. So hopefully, Daddy Gang, Annalyn's story, as painful as it is, can help someone listening today. Even if it's one person, I'm assuming it's going to be a lot more, but hopefully it can help today. And know you are not alone. Daddy Gang, without further ado, Annalyn McCord. Hello, hello, hello. You look beautiful.
1: Same. As always, though. <laughs> um, same. Daddy
0: gang, we are sitting in my back house. I'm honored that you're sitting here with me right now. Anna Lynn was a star on Nip American heiress. 90210 is obviously what I know you from. Like, I was the biggest fan. You were everything I wanted to be and Yay. more. Unbelievable. <laughs> Started modeling at 15. Mental health advocate and advocate for childhood sexual trauma survivors reading your story and your journey i'm inspired and also so excited to have you on today because there are so many young women that listen yeah. to my show and you coming on here and just like being open as you've been about your career thank you for like being so open in your recent journey of mental health and being an advocate I kind of love to start early, early life. I'm always like, let's go back. Yes. Like, I'm always like, everything stems We're from the childhood. Exactly. <laughs> if someone is listening to this that isn't familiar with you, can you kind of walk me through like your early childhood days and like what that backstory is to you? Absolutely.
1: So it's, it's interesting because it's a little piecemealed in the sense that I can walk you through it now, but if you'd asked me this question two and a half years ago, I would have told you a totally different story because I didn't have my childhood memories of what was the most defining element of my life, I think. But um, I'll I'll throw in all the details, but I'll give it to you first the way I knew it, which was I was a kid from a trailer park. (laughs) I had a pipe dream to be an actress at nine years old, I was gonna. I was like, this is what I'm doing with the rest of my life. And also, grew up moving place to place. Like oh, okay. we we packed that trailer up and we rolled it down the freeway. Oh my! And how many siblings? <laughs> uh, two sisters. I left home two months after I turned 15. Like was fully financially, fu- completely wow. independent. And were your sisters still there? My older sister had run away at age 16, and my younger sister was still there, but she she was there with my mom. My parents got divorced at that point, And I kind of like slipped out the back door. I graduated from high school. So no one could say that I didn't finish my education. I did like summer school. Like that's the cool thing about homeschool is if oh you are motivated, you I was a very self-motivated kid. Cause I love learning. I just like, I was got like, out. let's go, let's go. I'm going to make this life happen. Cause everybody's telling me it's not. And fuck you motherfuckers. Honestly, yes, it's, it is. It's how
0: like a, a, like motivating sometimes when people are like, you can't, you're like, yeah. Oh, watch me, bitch. Oh, that I was will.
1: That was it was a oh watch me bitch moment for a long time of my life. So you left. I left there. I moved to. Well, technically I moved to Miami for a little bit, saved up money modeling. I was in a situation where I had saved up my birthday and Christmas money for all these years. And I had a grand total of $1,200 to my name, I think. And I went into my agency and I was like, I am running out of money and I am not gonna be able to stay, but I also can't go home. Like I was like, that that was not an option to me. Like what I didn't know at that time was what I would then go on to remember two and a half years ago, which was that I had also experienced childhood sexual abuse. And that was completely, those memories were fully blocked out. So I had this really like panicked energy when I told them I can't go home because I didn't want to be in the vicinity of the person because that was, there was someone in the community and like, if I was going to be there, it was going to, you know, it was, it was an energy that I would have to be faced with. And so So they, they took, they picked up on the energy. The agency just took me under their wing by allowing me to work in the office. Were you
0: lonely? Like, do you remember where you were in that headspace?
1: Well, you see, I did not have time for feelings. Those were things that we did not do. Right, We We did a lot of things, but we did not do feelings. Hustling, hustling. It was like, I did not believe in partners, like relationships. I was like, you, you know, you make your mark on the world. That is what you are here for. If you end up liking a dude, cool, but like make that a super low key thing. And now what I know about that is that when I got my diagnosis for disassociative identity disorder, which I know we'll get, we'll into, get into. Yeah. Um, I was splitting. I was splitting with everybody. I was splitting in every situation in order to cope and creating little analins everywhere. Like the analin that handles the the model's apartment and the an- analin that handles accounting and the analin that's a model. And you also have to understand, like, I'm sitting <laughs> every day. I'm, I'm do- now I'm working as consistently as a model and I'm showing up and I'm doing Sears catalog for children, for teenagers, and there's moms with their teenage children. I'm by myself. So you, you can imagine, like, there's the eyes that are kind of curious like, and judging and probably concerned, but also judging, but also concerned. Right. And then there's the makeup and hair chair, where shit goes down. If you guys, if you know anything about my industry, if you know anything about, obviously for you, right. any kind of press, you're sitting in the makeup hair chair for an hour and a half, two hours. A lot of things are discussed. Right. The first question is, where are your parents? And so I had this tailor-made story of like... What was it? Well, (laughs) lying a lot. There was a lot of lying that went on. Pathological lying actually really helped out. And you're still modeling. You haven't gotten into acting yet. at this point, I have gotten into acting. I've had a few auditions. So I moved to LA at 18. I get out. um, Nip-tuck was the kind of the hit moment where I was on the scene finally. It was such an industry-watched show. But... 90210 came and I was having a little bit of a meltdown. And I was like, I don't want to be an actress anymore. I, I had reached this level of success where everyone was telling me, oh my God, you've made it. You did it. All the yeah. people that were, you know, saying you're never going to do it. Now I'd prove my point, but what did I have to prove now? Now my feelings and emotions were catching up with me. I was dealing suddenly the anxiety, the depression, I'm putting a smile on for everybody else while I'm going home and wanting to kill myself, cutting up my arms, self-harming, like all this shit. And, and still not consciously aware at all, like not looking at any of it. So I wanted out, I thought, okay, it's because I decided to be in this egotistical world of acting where everything's narcissistic and up your own ass and like I don't want to be here. And right. so... I go to Cambodia my I think I'm going to like literally in my mind I'm going to help these sweet little children and be a good person and I, they changed my life like they turned my world upside down I realized from former slaves, how enslaved I was because in my mind, I was a slave. I was a total prisoner to my mind. I was so rigid. I was, I mean, I had all these standards of perfection. I was so abusive to myself. I literally, I started doing a college tour, um, a few years back and I would ask people, raise your hands. If you would be friends with the voice inside your head, if that was an actual person, nobody raises their hands. And I'm like, come on guys, nobody, nobody. It's wow. because that voice inside our mind is an asshole, man. Asshole. Asshole. Asshole you know, if it was a person in the room, you'd be like, go fuck yourself. Right? Or you so would leave true. or you would do whatever your coping mechanism is to deal with bullies. Right. But when you can't see the bully, when it's an invisible bully hanging out in your head, you just think it's truth. Did you, were you self harming before you had this like? It started It started out here, but it was, then I ended up in a, in a dynamic that was a very sexual relationship and it went on for a while we went into every kind of BDSM like exploration you can imagine. And I was opening up Pandora's box sexually without consciously knowing why I might like these things, why they might turn me on the way they did, because our beautiful brains that put pain and pleasure together to try to help us ended up putting me keeping me in a body that would go on to abuse herself for a very long time and when he and I would have fallout it was like it was like we were at the peak of the highest because you and dopamine and oxytocin like high high levels of chemical endorphins with him and then when the drop-off would happen the fallout was massive and I started cutting and it wasn't his it wasn't his fault it was he thought he got so freaked out and it was interesting because I was cutting to feel any at all, I was so numb, and a big part of BDSM for me was just trying to feel anything in my wow. body at all cut to a decade plus later when I'm in treatment for PTSD and I'm doing EMDR which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing which is for post traumatic stress disorder my doctor literally put buzzers in my hand and I was like okay turn it up turn up the intensity you determine the intensity and speed and she's like okay and I was like okay you can turn up the intensity more okay and more okay more she's like it doesn't it it doesn't go anymore this is the highest level she said in all of her years of practice she has never had someone whose skin sensitivity was so low my, the level of torture that I went through when I was a child that I now remember was so horrific that my brain said, no, like, she can't feel. So we're going to shut off feeling to, And and feeling is experienced in the brain, not in the body. The brain sends signals down the nervous system to the body to feel pain. And I just stopped feeling pain. And my, my senses were so dulled that to get to a level of having pain and people laugh and say, oh, I have a high tolerance for pain. You should ask yourself why because that's not a good thing. We have pain for a reason. It is to let us know that something's wrong. And there that is not a you don't win awards for having a high tolerance to pain. That's unkindness to your body. And I am now very kind to my body, but I was very very unkind for a long time. And the self-harming started just because I couldn't feel anything. Right. It was like I was stuck in this pressure cooker that was also on this really like slow motion speed where it was like it was just like so confusing because it was terrifying, but nothing was actually happening. And it was, yeah.
0: I want to ask you because you've been so open about mental health and I, I obviously did research cause I want to be as respectful as possible.
1: You can ask me anything, girl. No.
0: Yeah. Th- <laughs> thank you. Um, you being so open about dissociative identity disorder, which yeah. has been very wrongly portrayed, I think in film and media to the point where the DSM changed the name from multiple personality disorder to dissociative identity disorder. Can you explain from your perspective and your experience, like what, what is that? If someone's never heard of dissociative identity disorder, like what is it
1: to you? Absolutely. And I appreciate that you brought up the DSM because the diagnostic statistics manual refuses though, even neuroscientists and doctor friends of mine and, and doctors who have, decades combined in the field they have refused the american psychiatrist association that controls the printing of the dsm yep refuses to put trauma in the dsm and yet this is what the psychiatrists are required to purchase and use as their manual to tell you that you're crazy they won't put trauma in the fucking book Right. So it's, like
0: infuriating.
1: it's infuriating, especially for doctors who have the data to right. prove that you are diagnosing them. I was diagnosed with bipolar. I then had my brain scanned by Dr. Amen, which was when the DID diagnosis came out. Yes. He said, you don't have a bipolar brain. I've scanned 50,000 of them.
0: Also, because we'll get to that. How long did you live with that diagnosis until it was
1: like my whole family I, I believe that i was bipolar for forever like i mean wow. i like it was it, it was it was crazy and, and then i went on treatment for it you know i was taking medication for bipolar i i I'm grateful that I did done my own research and I went on a mood stabilizer, which actually did help me okay. because I had all the symptoms of bipolar and they weren't they weren't necessarily wrong to diagnose me bipolar, but they're wrong to leave trauma out of the question as if it's the issue, because once I healed most of my trauma, suddenly my bipolar symptoms started to disappear. So I've been diagnosed with DID Okay, and that was a conversation more than a, you are diagnosed with. My doctor is so amazing. I love her so much, but she is a specialist in EMDR. So EMDR is the number one treatment for PTSD. And while undergoing that treatment, she told me pretty much everyone who's been through what you've been through has some form of disassociation. We all actually, all yeah. humans have everyone disassociates on some
0: level. Yeah. Yes. Yep. We all
1: disassociation is a CEO of the brain mechanism yep. to protect you. Absolutely. The brain wants you to survive. It doesn't care what your quality of life is. So surviving and quality of life are two very different things. And we don't take that into account always. To the point. The the did d- diagnosis essentially means and again i appreciate you bringing out bringing up that it is not multiple personality disorder the name has been changed for a reason yes the you are not multiple personalities when you experience dissociative identity disorder you are fragmented versions of yourself, got it. your identity. I explain it like this. If your beautiful mirror here, if God forbid someone took a hammer and smashed it, I hope you're not superstitious if you're listening, because that's terrible. my <laughs> <Like But>, shit, <laughs> nobody come to my house. No one uh. got to my house. Um, but if, if someone took a hammer in the middle uh, and smashed that mirror, the mirror itself was one whole being, right? One yep. whole piece. Yep. You can now see your reflection 900 different times. You're still one, but now you're all. It's a little confusing, right? Yep. Now, for me, the way I describe my healing integration process is I didn't have the glue to put myself back together for a long time. Now I have an overwhelming, overflowing amount of glue because glue is love. And I love myself enough to be able to see one image when I look in your beautiful mirror, not the hammer shattered, fragmented multiple images of myself and so you would see me over here uh, when and these the reason that the brain splits in this regard it's always a protective mechanism so what you'll notice if you track backwards if you are in a situation you can ask yourself this am I ever in a situation where I feel like I have to be a certain way and I can't be any other way in that situation or it's dangerous, or I'm gonna, someone's gonna disapprove of me, or whatever, whatever, whatever your level of dangerous, it's all relative, right. right? So for me, if I'm on a red carpet, I have to say everything just right. That's yep. that was one of the alters that I had, but my nervous system was so overwhelmed by. People, humans around me. I had social anxiety at a level that was insane, but then I was severely numb, so I couldn't detect the anxiety. So I just felt really uncomfortable in my body. And then at some point, I would no longer be at the event and no one would know where I went, and I would find myself at home. So something would occur and I was gone. So that overwhelming experience, my brain would take over and put me into my little autopilot. Right. So we would definitely not do this interview back then. I would have been like, Oh, thank you so much for having me here. Well, yes, you know, everyone's so, I'm grateful yes, for love my experiences. Acting. Yes, nice and, to see you. Um, All the best to you and everyone listening. I would say a whole bunch of nothing because I'd say everything without saying anything at all. I, You would never get a real clear answer out of me. Like I was the perfect media trained little starlet. Right. Um. What was interesting was the fact that the anxiety would cause all of this to be just a big blur for me. So I wouldn't fully black out like some people lose time when they're in their other altars. Oh, wow. I I could remember things, but it's my life in a lot of ways is a blur because I was splitting so much in order to cope. When I would be faced with men, oh, my gosh, I, I would go into baby talk. My little Anna would pop up when so so what this one of the things right that that is a hallmark of sexual abuse is grooming so perpetrators groom children to to utilize the own child psychology against them it's really fucked up basically it's don't you want to be a special big girl don't you want to be my special girl like you know what little child, what human doesn't want to feel special? Yeah, like what we, be like
0: no I'm like no, yeah. I don't want to be
1: special right. like right. right? So everything is this luring, this lure, 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 where the child then becomes the adult that takes the ownership and fault for all of their traumas because they walked into it willingly at right. six right at oh six, okay, like I'm sorry, know. yeah, oh, come on. Wow. but so for me, I had this mechanism with men where I thought I had to be really small. So, so, and it wasn't a conscious thought. It was a brain protection thought where bad things happened. If I wasn't good little girl, that was the special girl that did the things that she was supposed to do. And, Mm -hmm. and so it was like, immediately it was always, there's so much sex driven, everything, but I didn't know why I had to just give my body to people. I didn't know why I had to just give my body to people. And, and I didn't realize that I was doing it because I was hoping that I got some love back. And I was so desperate wow. to be loved because I did feel so alone. And I was so alone for so long.
0: When you would go into that baby talk phase, like, was it when you were in, like, conflict with your partner like they'd be yelling at you and you would go like when would it be that you would utilize that version of yourself
1: it was that's a beautiful question by the way thank you very much for asking it because it is it's always it's always triggered by some kind of uprising in some way shape or form for me I I would notice it in a few different ways and one it was one really big way was I could not for the life of me, and I think maybe I learned on Monday how to do this. Um, but <laughs> I could not express my needs. Like oh. needs were really hard for me to admit that I had. It was like admitting weakness. It was just like horrible thing oh, to to say that I needed something. And I think that that there. I think that there are, are unconscious memories that I have impressions of, but I don't have full memories. But I have impressions of being made to feel like I would get in trouble for saying something hurt. Like, like it was worse if something, if I set a need, like I needed water or I was, you know, scared or uh, or I was hurting hurting or, yeah. So, so there's, because the, I mean, the anxiety, like the abstract fear that it would bring up for me to think about considering, contemplating, ever talking about a need was so far beyond anything that would be considered neurotypical or normal. Right. So one aspect would be that I would when I needed something, I'd be like, well, you're stupid because I needed you to do this thing and you wouldn't do it. And that's dumb. <laughs> and it was really cute and endearing. Like, right, oh, right. like everyone's like, you're so funny. Like, right. they, they didn't think of it as like this. Like, she's terrified. Right. It was just like I was being. Oh, you're being. Oh, you're being cute. cute. When, OK. Meanwhile, me, yes.
0: it's being triggered by M- Meanwhile, Yes. Unable to even ask for it. So you have to go to that place.
1: You have to go to that place. Um, Terror can bring it out for me. Someone getting into an argument with me did not bring that out. Oh. That brought out the villains I played on television. I was ice cold and I could be a real cunt. There was a moment and we saw it in my treatment when I was, Confronting my thirteen year old self was terrifying to me. I was like, um, you're very scary and I do need to talk to you in my own mind. This is a conversation is happening, right? I'm like, but like you're looking at me in my mind. Um, and I am melting. <laughs> like you're like making me melt. Like my thirteen year old self. It was it was like she had had enough and wow. she became the thing that had terrified her. You know how well, we, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I did. I became a bully. I became I became very, I could be very emotionally psychologically abusive. Wow. Like I could be very in as much as I had the biggest heart in the world and would give you the yeah. shirt off my back. I was I would f- go into a different, I would go into an altar that was just ice cold and impossible to get through to. and and it was i I thank her now. I have so much gratitude to her. She saved my life in yeah. many ways, but I had to make amends for some of the some of the things she's done, and and it was when I was especially with Dom. I remember really like he he and I. So Dominic Purcell, um, yeah, just love. for, for our listeners, Mr. Prison Break man. Um, but he. He's a man. Like yeah. I had never experienced a real man before in my he's whole life. Man. Like he's a, man. a sexual hot <laughs> like, man. Hot, sexy, I'm jealous. <laughs> oh. Gorgeous, just yummy man. Oh my God. Um, but so I, I had never experienced a man, like a real masculine energy before. And what's so beautiful about the masculine energy. And I hate when it's shut on because real masculine doesn't harm. It protects. It's loyal. It's beautiful. It's so yummy and just delicious. And I want to like, uh, lick it up. Um, so, Dom Dom does not accept a woman <laughs> that bows up to him in this masculine way he and he showed me he taught me we teach people how to treat us right he I was crying one day I was exhausted I think I'd worked 90 hour work week and I was so dead tired and I was probably PMSing and all the things and right. I just it culminated into upset versus my cold hard altered you know ego right. literally altered ego um and I was like I can't take it when you do it like this and he literally I, I can see it in my mind's eye right now in my house in Marina Del Rey like he He's looking down. He grabs my shoulders, so protective and he goes, Anna, he like literally shakes me. He's so passionate. He's like, when you are soft like this, I would do anything in the whole world for you. When you get into my face like that ice cold bitch that you can become, I just want to fucking lob your head off so I get in my truck and I drive away so I don't put you in the hospital or worse. Right. And I was like, oh, wow. How do you really feel? (laughs) Um, Like, wow, thanks. Oh, my God. Tell me more. This is kind of sexy. Wait. Also, what? You're going to kill me? (laughs) Oh, my God. But I'd never experienced this before. Right.
0: Did he know Obviously, he knew about your your diagnosis with DID, but like,
1: well, I didn't have my diagnosis at oh, that point, didn't. right? So he and I met when I was twenty three. I was still a nine i two and was oh. very young. He's been a dad. Like he knew the he. We talk about it now, where the little Anna. Obviously, I explained to him once my doctor talked about this. I'm like, you know, how I would talk to you with that little voice. He goes, I know, little Anna. And he was the one who named her Little Anna. He's like, oh, Little Anna's here today. And it was always this fatherly kind of energy that he was bringing to it. that was very nurturing. Okay. And I was like, is it a little creepy that like our dynamic has so many like right, oh, different-, different archetypes to it? <laughs> right. And he said, it's what you needed. Wow. I was just being what you needed. And when did you get your diagnosis? August 16th, 2018. Like I remember it like it was yesterday. I was having blackout panic attacks where I was losing time. Oh wow! And then I went into a depression that I could not get myself out of, and I had always been able to jumpstart my like mania, which you know, yeah. my form of mania, um, f- and get myself out of depressions up until this point by using one of my hypersexuality or hyperspending or like any of these different traits that I had, um, that coincided with a bipolar disorder diagnosis, but ultimately would come to prove trauma. to be trauma related. And I I was in a six month long, long depression. And what started to happen was that I started to panic that I was never going to get out of it. And that also was activating the the like it was a lot was deteriorating i was also reaching an age where a lot of these things happen um but it also coincides with a period of your life where you've lived for a decade as a technical adult yeah you've started to see things come full circle and now you're realizing okay (laughs) yeah i can calm down a little bit this is going to work itself out or you know i've seen this before right so at that point a lot of people who have latent memories it starts to they come will up. resurface yep. yeah so and w- are you working on 9021 at this point at this point I have been wrapped from the show for five years Got so it. I've
0: been off the show for
1: a while at this point point. and
0: you did talk about one experience
1: yeah so I was also sexually assaulted when I was a teenager here in LA oh. by a quote-unquote friend I attributed a lot of the things I couldn't necessarily put words to or connect dots on I attribute a lot of it to that incident and was just like trying to chalk it up in my mind with the pieces that that I had. That's That's why why I'm so fucked up. Like, okay, you know, and it was obviously it preceded that, but I, my mind was protecting me and didn't want me to dig. So it didn't let me, it gave right. me the, the story and something that people should know because so many survivors reach out to me and share with me that their family members don't believe them or they're ostracized for telling them you ruined the family. Like, Oh well, yeah, I got myself raped as a child and I ruined my family. What? I'm so sorry. I'm yeah. so confused by your logic. Um, it's <sighs> mind boggling. But one thing I will say is Do not listen to authoritarians who have no authority on a subject because they have no education and no evidentiary findings to show to you to prove that what they're saying actually has any proof whatsoever. Speak to people who are educated on the topic, who have lived the experience or both. <laughs> Otherwise, say thank you so much for your opinion. Let me know when you get raped as a child and I hope you never do, but let me know when you do and then we'll have a conversation about your feelings about what the fuck happened to me. Um because that is and it again, it's people are all coming from their pain. They're right. I get it whatever. Right. But like shut the fuck no, up.
0: No, but actually, shut, but the actually shut the fuck up. But actually
1: shut the fuck up. So the memories of a trauma survivor are fragmented they come in pieces they come in waves they come in impressions they come in sounds they come in smells they come in all of these different you know imagery whatever they there are no two experiences alike because the brain is is just grabbing like it's 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 someone drowning it's a person drowning in the ocean they are scrambling for anything to grab onto. when did you remember august 16th 2018 what literally only three years ago I told my doctor, I said, you know, I'm all worried about my sex life. Like, it's all I care about. I'm just like, I'm worried about my sex life. So here's the thing. Like, when dudes sleep over, like, my legs get, like, super frozen. And I just don't sleep through the whole night. And if I want to sleep at all, like, I kind of just have to, like, take a Xanax and pass out and completely black out fully in order to sleep at all. So that's a little weird, right? And she's like, that is not normal. My legs would go completely numb. Painfully numb Like the whole night I would lay there And stare at the ceiling And rotate my ankles Just to alleviate The intensity of the numbness It was so horrible Never occurred to me That this might be um, Probably related To something really Tra- fucked yeah, up Trauma Yes Yeah um, so, fuck. so she's like, okay, we can look at that, but it's very hard to start this treatment process because she knew what was going to happen. She already, the second she, I had started talking to her, she knew what she it, was. Yeah, yeah. We're about she, to open all yeah, of it. Yeah. She knew Pandora's box was got to fly the fuck open, but she was being so gracious and kind. And, and she was like, it's hard to get into these things if we just do a body sensation so we, we should look at something in the mind and use that as the pathway in. And, and she was right. So we went to the third memory on the list. And this was this person and this incident. And, and it just cuts off and it blocks out. And I was like, it's also kind of weird because like the memory, I'm like 17 feet or so away from my body. And she was like, so you disassociated from your body. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. What is that? Like, huh? Yeah. I could see myself in profile and
0: in in that moment in that incident with the
1: man the like I my image that was frozen in time and it looked like not like a memory plays out like a movie you know right it was like a frozen image like jammed, like 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 it got stuck like in a glitch and it and it would pop up throughout my life it was a memory that would pop up randomly at random times I thought I was clearly being triggered and that was flashing, but it was like it was like a a glitch in the matrix, and it was just a stagnant image, and then a really icky, yucky gross feeling, and this kind of I was worried about like who was around like that those were things in my awareness about the memory um and then that was it, and then it go to black. my whole life changed forever. I walked from Santa Monica to Marina del Rey, I walked all the way home, like literally like however many miles, just like completely like in a trance. Like I was, I was, I was not in this dimension. Like I just was like, no, like this didn't happen. What? No. Like, because if you understand, like I've told a story about my life for 31 years. I had that, that story that I told in the makeup and hair chair. And I had a story I told about my life for 31 years. And then in 90 minutes in a treatment session, I'm a different person with a different story. My whole life is a lie. So which one was I? Am I, am I the story I ask this question all the time, which one am I? The one who lived 31 years of a story or the one who had 90 minutes of information that altered that story entirely? And I am neither, I'm both. I get to write that story every day. I'm the author of my story now. Every moment, this moment with you, I'm so grateful for with you guys listening. I'm so grateful for all of you because I, I, I get to write a new Annalyn every day. She's not the Annalyn that all of this happened to. I tell the story for context, but this is not my life anymore. Well, it's
0: anyone listening that has had one of those sessions. I'm trying to think of like, what, who, what did you, what were your next steps to make sure you were okay? And like, did you reach out to anyone? Like I called
1: Dom. We weren't talking, we weren't, we weren't not talking, we just weren't, we hadn't spoken in probably six months, and I said, I need you, and he got in his truck from wherever he was, and drove straight to my house, and stayed with me through the night, and he saw like all of the triggers happening, like my body just spasming, so just so everyone understands, I was experiencing like physical relive, so my body would relive the act that was perpetrated onto me involuntarily including asphyxiation moments where my own throat would shut itself down as if a rope was around my neck tightening and shutting off oxygen so like these were the this was the level of like flashback memories that I experienced so he came he witnessed that and he literally that night he said Anna you know that cutthroat Anna that I hate so much you need to be her right now you need to remember her you need to remember how strong you are
0: Did you ever tell your family?
1: I initially I was not going to tell my mother because I was like, I am not going to do that to her. That's insane. Ironically, I had a 6 a.m. flight home the next morning that was previously scheduled. So I actually was flying back to Atlanta the next day anyway. And I was terrified about coming back because my older sister had planned to pick me up from the airport. She was so excited to see me. And I was like, Oh my God, like she's going to immediately know something's wrong. And yeah. like, cause I was like, I, t- the reason that Dom had said that about don't forget who you are was I was a fragile, f- like shell of a person. Like I was shaky. I felt like I was smaller in size than I am. Like literally in my body, I felt like I was the size of a small child, but I was in an adult body. I felt right. like uh, someone was holding me up height wise because I felt really little in the whole world. That was the energy of the feeling of what this was like. It's really hard to explain. No, but
0: I, well, I can't even imagine like you've had trauma your entire life. You have felt your coping mechanisms, but you're unsure of even why you do these things. And then now all of a sudden to go back to where I'm assuming it happened in Atlanta the next day after your, yeah.
1: Geographically, I was going to be like faced with, you know, Like areas, smells, sounds, voices, you know, like the, obviously the Southern accent even is just like all of it. So I still go home. I get in the car. Angel, second I get in the car with my older sister, she's like, What is wrong with you? Something's wrong with you. What happened? What's going on? Like, and I was like, I was like, I'm not bringing her down this like dark place. I was like, Listen, you know, like it's, it's okay. Like, but my voice was met- like everything was like just fragmented. Right. I was that shattered mirror on the wall. But my aunt is uh she has a master's in psychology, she's a social worker for years and years wow. and years, and so I was like, Can I just wait until I get to Aunt Lynn's house? Oh, that's smart. So we I got back to my aunt's house and that's kind of when it all happened and I had the weekend there with my aunt and uncle and that was actually a beautiful gift
0: so it ended up being like nurturing it ended up
1: being nurturing and a very good thing I got back I was still not gonna tell my mom because I didn't want to ruin her life and then I was like you know what actually I need my fucking mom yeah she got on a plane the second I called her and when people question me like how did your mom not know I'm like I didn't know it happened to me Yeah, for years. I didn't remember, you know, she came out and it, she was incredible. Like she, she held space for me in this incredible way. When wow. I was going through the convulsions at one point I was crawling. So I have to say it like this because it was an involuntary response. Right. Like a war veterans will like grab a gun that's not there and start shooting on a, wep- on a battlefield that doesn't exist. Right. You know, when they're dealing with uh, PTSD from war. So my body was doing that with this, like trying to escape what was happening to me. And at this one moment, I was like, I felt like slipped, kind of slid off of my, went into the episode, slid off my couch, which is just quite low to the ground. My body involuntarily flipped itself and I was scraping into my floor, screaming at the top of my lungs, mommy, 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 mommy. Like, like, can you imagine being the mother sitting there watching your 31 year old child like. Sound like she's your baby girl and she doesn't know where she is, what's happening. And she's, I mean, my, I was, I was ripping through rug material with my nails. I was gripping through it, clawing for, to save my life. So that was about 10 days after I now had known my life story. But I knew that I needed to go to Cambodia. So I wow. got, I just booked a one-way flight to Cambodia. I was like, I'll come back when I'm ready. I called the founder of my organization there, who's a survivor of human trafficking, and has rescued over 7,000 girls. She is my hero. But I called her and I said, I'm not coming as president of the organization. I'm not coming as the ambassador. I'm coming as a girl that you need to save because I am messed up right now. And she said, okay, come. It was life altering to be able to have this community of other survivors and my doctor was like you did this backwards you built a whole community of people that you would need and then you put yourself in a situation to remember your memories how incredible and and I really that was a major shift and a major healing point for me and I stopped involuntarily splitting it was the craziest thing I don't I don't know what they did. Like, we were sitting there one night. I woke up to the seizing, convulsing kind of situation. They come and they get... We all sit in the bed together, cross-legged. And Somali says, look into Ratana's eyes. So, Ratana is a survivor. She was raped by... Her father got pregnant. Like, forced to lose the baby. Like, horrible situation. Her father, she... um, He died in prison in Cambodia. It was like a... If you don't rectify something before someone dies, like the the shame goes to the child. She wrote a letter to asking him saying that she forgave him and whatever. He's he wrote a letter back saying that it was all her fault and killed himself to leave the shame on her. It was just like she and she's this light. She's this beautiful light and so happy and so joyful and wants to and helps all of our girls in such an amazing way and has an hilarious sense of humor. And you would never know that this horrible pain was what? her story. And she I don't know what Somali did, but she had the girl. She had Ratana to my left. Nora standing across from me. Somali was on my right. They're all sitting there. And Somali says, look into Ratana's eyes. None of them spoke. Ratana stared into my eyes and showed me all of her pain and all of her darkness and all of her healing and all her light. And then Nora, she said, now look at Nora. And Nora showed me. It was like I could see her life in her eyes. And then I could see how she got through it. I don't know how to explain this to you. This is the power of human connection, right? Like I didn't split again. Like I, I, in the sense of like involuntarily, like I couldn't control, Right, right, right. I would have convulsions in these things, but I wasn't, I was dealing with not being able to like get my voice back and not being able to get my, like, it was, it was a takeover of my body from my younger self. And that never happened again after that night wow yeah so it was a journey and it was it was interesting because getting to a place where i've gone from i my little self was inside me and i would see her and then she would disappear into the blackness and i talked to my doctor i'm like why is little anna disappearing on me and she was like she doesn't trust you yet she doesn't trust you yet you the, the house she lived in was a little scary for a long time and i made it scary for her i put myself in these sexual situations to be abused i am dismantling the dungeon that i had in my home for a very long time yeah
0: this episode is brought to you by rocket money something that really grinds my gears is I somehow will find myself just subscribing to things, right? And then all of a sudden, I see I have been paying the subscription service and I don't even use it because I just forgot to cancel it. Rocket Money can help you cancel a subscription that would otherwise be more time-consuming. And also, you probably forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place place. And if I see anything I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash daddy. That's rocketmoney.com slash daddy. Rocketmoney.com slash This episode is brought to you by eBay. You know real when you get it, right, Daddy Gang? It'll say eBay authenticity guaranteed, and you'll feel it. So, look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay authenticity guaranteed, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. So, ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit eBay.com for terms. Tap the banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Curology. If you have particular skincare challenges, it can be really frustrating to waste time and money on products that just are absolutely not formulated for you that is why I'm so excited to recommend Curology. I have personally struggled with acne my whole life and I'll look at someone on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and be like, should I buy those products? No, I do not have the same skin as them. So I should not be treating it the same. Curology's personalized prescriptions are formulated to treat your individual skin needs from acne to the earliest signs of aging. All you have to do is go online Take a quick quiz, and you will be connected to a licensed dermatology provider that will create a custom formula based on your skincare needs. If you're ready to start your skincare journey and start seeing results, here is a special offer just for you. Visit Curology.com slash call her daddy for a special offer. That's Curology, C U R O L O G Y.com slash call her daddy. Offer applies only to your first box. Subject to consultation. New subscribers only. Subscription required. I'm like honestly in awe of you and your story. I like can't even begin to thank you. So many women write into my show and the theme of shame is it is so heartbreaking because you did nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong. Yeah. How do you tackle shame? Like what, if, if, do you have any? I
1: love that. You I love that I mean? question. Yes, I do. For me, it's, I, I'll preface this by saying that a doctor that I love, Dr. David Hawkins, may he rest in peace. Um, he studied kinesiology and he put together a list of emotions, human emotions that he calibrated just above death is the calibration of shame. You are a dead person walking when you are living in shame. And we are in a dangerous time in our society and culture where we are promoting shame at a level that is absolutely obscene. And we're calling it cancellation. First of all, accountability culture. That's what you're looking for. And you just named it the wrong thing everybody. Accountability culture gives room for redemption. Shame culture does not. Cancel culture does not. And sh- cancel culture is just a nice way of saying shame culture because if you try to cancel someone, you've just canceled yourself. Have you have you never done something wrong? Not once in your life that you're going to cancel someone right? else? It takes a very strong person to have compassion. And that is what we're lacking. When we go only in for cancellation, where is the solution? Where is the solution in cancel culture? What are you solving? And have you seen any solution actually come as a result of your cancellations? Has anything been solved? Healing sounds great to me. That's a a solution I'd be into. Absolutely. Show me where shame heals anything. Show me where canceling someone heals anything. Do you feel better now that you canceled someone? Did, did what they did to you go away? No, honey, they didn't. It didn't. But but I will tell you what does make everything go away. Compassion. Compassion, compassion, compassion. But again, not for the weak. You, you can't be weak not, and be yeah. compassionate. I have a practice so I do the meta meditation anytime you want a free meta meditation situation I will lead you guide you in I will do it well I'll come out here by your beautiful pool and relax you down I'm Um, ready but I one of the one of the practices that changed my entire life and it was in this journey and from 2018 to now that I discovered the meta meditation Mm -hmm. and it's a Buddhist practice in its origin but it's It doesn't matter what you believe. Hopefully what you believe in is that compassion is not a bad thing. Yes.
0: I think we can all agree on that, right? We all agree that compassion is not a bad
1: thing. So if you agree with that, the meta meditation goes like this. I'll drop you in. I do the breath and like get you settled in. But then I ask you to offer to yourself, may I be at peace. May I be free from suffering. May I be happy. May I be happy. May I be at peace. May I be free from suffering. I have you ask, just just offer that to yourself. Just yeah. graciously offer that to yourself a couple of times. Because we have to love ourselves first. Right. We can't give what we don't have. Well, we don't, we don't, no one teaches us to build a relationship with the person we spend the most time with, with ourselves. So true. I have a friendship with myself now. That abusive, loud, nasty voice that I used to have in there has turned into, girl, looking and fly today. Oh, oh. Just to be able to show up for my little Anna the way I would have if I could have been a woman there in her life yeah. early on. I'm the woman that she needed. I became the woman she needed. That's what my doctor told me. You became the woman that your little self needed. And and I want to honor her. I want to honor her ability to survive. Anna
0: Lynn, you are like so unbelievable. I'm inspired and honestly in awe of how open and vulnerable you are and I think that this is going to really shine through in this episode and people are going to be thankful and grateful to you for what you just gave them because I I know I am well
1: I'll just say in response to that to all of you listening I am so honored to be even a small part of your journey thank you for obviously having me on here to be able to do that because I'm allowed to sit here with you and share my story and because you are listening guys and and you're taking this in and maybe it is is adding hopefully some value to your life this this means that everything that happened to me was it's okay now it's okay now of course we would take someone out of it in real time but but I'm so grateful I'm so grateful I I I can't tell you because it means I matter
0: okay hi daddy gang it is your dad Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. I know that this was a heavy one, but definitely an inspiring one. Um, Again, thank you so much to Anna Lynn. If you guys can go DM her um, again, she's so fucking brave for coming on and sharing the details that she did. And I know she was doing it also because she knows if this helps one fucking person listening, that's all we can ask for. Um, also, Annalyn now does have a podcast with a former 90210 um, co host. It is called Unzipped, and they also release on Wednesdays, I'm pretty sure. So if you guys want another listen, go listen to Annalyn and her former colleague, Shanae. Uh, it's called Unzipped. I really hope that this episode help someone. If you by chance are feeling triggered though, from this episode, um, whether you want to go take a walk, if you're at work, go take a walk, take time for yourself, call someone. If you don't have someone to call and you are feeling extremely triggered though, guys, I want to give you guys assistance and help. You can call a 24 hour crisis hotline. The number is 800-273- 8255. You can call that 24 hours. There is also a text line that has 24 7 crisis counseling. You would text home to 741 741. Again, if you maybe you don't want to get on the phone with someone, you can text the word home to 741 741, which is for Canada and the United States. I'm also going to post on Instagram the 247 help numbers that you can call in other countries because I know we have international daddies. So go on Instagram and I will post a picture for you of all the phone numbers and all the contact information if you are feeling like you need help. Bottom line, guys, please take care of yourself today because as Annalyn put it so beautifully you matter. We all fucking matter. Whatever you're going through, you are not alone. I love you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you guys. I'll see you fuckers trying to keep it. I will see you guys next one.